Welcome everybody to Drive to Win. I'm Justin Bell and I'm back here in Las Vegas just a few days after that epic Las Vegas Grand Prix just a couple of weekends ago. The show, of course, is presented by the Win Las Vegas and brought to you by Mobile One for the love of driving. One thing to say now, all missions complete. That was what the Red Bull pit box said to Max Verstappen as he crossed the finish line this weekend in Abu Dhabi, it was a dominant end to the season. And just listen to these stats. The most wins in a single season, 19. The most consecutive race wins, 10. Most podium finishes, 21. The highest points total, 575. And the biggest winning margin of 290. It, the race in Abu Dhabi was not just the was obviously not the best of the year to watch, but definitely lots to play for in the drivers and manufacturers championships. But for Max Verstappen, it really was the cemented final finale to an extraordinary year. And just watching it, just it was a little bit anticlimactic. I don't know what you felt. Definitely the highs of Las Vegas, just the incredible buzz around the race that we had here, which was a, a huge success, undeniably. A little bit of a bumpy start, but as we said in our post-race show, it, it was overall a huge success. And I think everybody involved in Las Vegas and in Formula One management should be very pleased and excited. But I did have, so as we went into the last race, uh, I don't know about you, but I was sort of sitting there just, just enjoying the moment, savoring it because it was the last race of the year. But watching the start, and I, I don't know why I haven't talked about this with you before, but the start for me, a standing start, is this moment of optimism. It, as a driver, I can tell you, and I wasn't particularly good at qualifying, so I relied on my cat-like reflexes, actually. Uh, and I was very good at standing starts. Something to do, I think, with doing motocross for about 10 years. You know, when you have 50 kids trying to go for one hole in a fence the other side of a field, it gets your sort of skills up when it comes to standing starts, getting off the line, reaction time. And I sit there on the sofa. It's kind of pathetic, really. But with my left foot on my imaginary brake pedal and my right foot on my imaginary Formula One gas pedal. And when the lights go out, it's amazing. I'm always quicker than they are. But as they go off the line, it's just extraordinary to see who gains positions. And if in modern day sports car racing and a lot of touring car racing, you really, and club racing, you don't get standing starts, but they are so pure. They are an opportunity to compensate for a really crappy qualifying or have the opportunity, if you qualified second, like Charles Leclerc, to maybe lead into the first corner. And I love it, especially this weekend, because the Ferraris haven't been good. Leclerc has not been good off the line, but boy, he was in the first hundred yards on Sunday. and. The question is, or the question was, was could anybody beat Max to turn one? And we see it time after time. And I have mentioned it a few times. No one seems to hammer him into the first corner. No one seems to block him out. But on Sunday, Charles Leclerc, he really tried to shove it in there on, on turn one. And we just literally he had the balls to make it stick and it didn't stick. But it, Max is so competitive. It's quite ridiculous. Turn one, Charles Leclerc alongside, had a go. Max defeated him. Go to turn six, Charles Leclerc had another go. I don't think that Max even thought for a moment he was going to try and pull that move. Max cut him off, and uh, that was the end of the story, as we know. But I think everybody has this opportunity off the line to take an advantage. But when it comes to Max, you'd think after a whole season of domination, all those wins, etc., that maybe, you know, he'd be softening a bit, but that's just not his way. He said on an interview, I know no other way. And you only have to look at how racy he got in the pit lane on first practice. He's going round the outside of cars in the tunnel. They have a very unusual pit lane exit there. He's going around the outside of cars like he's in the Ralph's parking lot. It was extraordinary to watch. And he was, was ruthless. And I think that's his thing. The rest of the race, of course, was a gimme uh, on the front. Anyway, he actually did what he had to do, had strategized with a GP, his race engineer, that they even stayed out longer so he could guarantee to get over that thousand laps led. In fact, in the end, it was 1,003 laps led this season. What a dominant display, kind of crazy stuff. 
We could wax lyrical about him, but uh, we will get to that a bit later. Uh, my guest for today, by the way, is Bob Varsha. Bob is a great friend and uh, one of the most respected broadcasters in the business and covered Formula One for years. So I'm excited to have him on. He was also in the pit lane and doing the PA at the Las Vegas Grand Prix. So uh, lovely to chat to him about his thoughts and a bit of a season recap. Well, in second place, Charles Leclerc. He, Leclerc, um, he, I thought he was great. I thought he's had a great season. I thought it was a great end to the year. Uh, there was a sort of fight in him that I, I really appreciated and enjoyed. And as, he's not really generally considered the cerebral one in the car, like Carlos Sainz calling different strategies. But boy, in those last few laps, when he realized that by allowing uh, Perez to go by, knowing he had a five-second penalty, knowing then that if he could give him enough gap to George Russell, he would actually be able to get the behind Charles win the point with the five-second penalty, but get the extra point which would allow Ferrari to, to beat Mercedes in the Manufacturers' Championship. And it didn't quite pan out, but that takes an enormous amount of processing, especially as you're seeing them doing everything they do on the steering wheel the whole way through. So I think he was so fast this year. I mean, in his career, 23 pole positions never count this guy out as a future world champion. And I really enjoyed watching him race. And, you know, obviously last year he had a sensational start to the season. Carlos Sainz, a race to forget. So we have to say he had an absolute crappy time. Mercedes, uh, who were in third, I mean, for George Russell, it was the a nice end, a great end to a, a pretty mediocre year. He's had those those highs, but mainly lows. He's had bad luck. He's made mistakes. But I think he's thought about it as a year of growth. And in the race, I mean, he was, you know, he was right up there and and ran at an amazing pace. And I think for him, with especially with Lewis having finishing so far back, it really allowed him to, to lead with the team. And, you know, you've seen him be faster than Lewis a lot this season. It's just that the results at the end of the of the race weren't exactly always coming his way. And as Toto Wolf said, they're very satisfied with P2 in the championship. And think about it, they were P2 in the championship. How on earth did that happen? That's just consistency. And, you know, moving into the winter and what they need to do, what is their position of Mercedes into 2024? I'm going to talk to Bob about that. But, you know, they need to rejuvenate. They need to strategize. They, they're trying to identify the issues, but... I love watching Mercedes out there on track and I certainly enjoy the potential of George Russell. You know, Sergio Perez, who finished fourth, uh, we have Checo. We've definitely given him uh, a little bit of a rough ride on the show just with frustration in the middle of the season when he was really totally under-delivering. But the it, he ran a really good, smart race, didn't he? And the last two races have been on fire for him and definitely if you looked at it on paper, uh, make him worthy of his role as number two to Max Verstappen. And can he maintain it? I mean, this is the whole thing into next year. But if you reflect back, he won a couple of races. He finished second in the Drivers' Championship and his teammate won. What more do you want? It's just, I think he made it a little harder than he needed to. But certainly from Mexico onwards, he's been like a man on, man on fire and looked really sporty. So... There's a testament to his mental strength that he got that back. Um, in fifth place, we had Lando Norris. And after the debacle of Las Vegas, in which case, if I had have done betting, I, I told Jeremiah, my producer, I was going to bet on Lando to, to actually win in Vegas. I would have lost every dollar because it was a dismal weekend for them. But he came in and had a very strong race. And that's what I meant by the middle of the race was just a bit dull. It just settled into a bit of a procession and people strategizing, looking at the end game on the constructors championships. Um, but I mean, Lando with McLaren, it's a pretty good end to the year. Um, and then right behind him was Oscar Piastri. And there's so much I, I want to unpack a little bit with Bob in a minute, but they're seeing the dynamics between those two, the pressure on Lando, forcing him to make mistakes because he has this teammate that is blindingly quick as he is, but it definitely bought, uh, you know, didn't yield the results that McLaren had hoped for. But I think where they started the year, it was actually bloody awful. 
Fernando Alonso was in seventh, which put him fourth in the Drivers' Championship. And what a smart race he had again, using all his experience. Uh, He made some comment that Lewis is really good and understands Formula One very well, but I've been around longer, so I understand it better. I thought that was kind of a cute uh, way of putting it. He just has proven himself as the as the cunning fox and I think he's going to extend his contract for even longer than we can anticipate at 42 years old. 42 old already in racing. But yeah, what a what a star. And finishing seventh, just the way that Aston ran. I mean, I think we can look forward to more great things from them next year. And almost my, it's not really my driver of the day, but Yuki Tsunoda, who finished eighth, uh, I mean, he managed those tires on a one-stop strategy keeping the pace. I mean, I love that little guy. He does so well. He's so enthusiastic. And what a great way to close out the season and thank everybody on the team for for all their work. So Yuki was pretty outstanding in the race. Really enjoyed watching him. In ninth place, we had Lewis Hamilton and he just, I think he just wanted to rev the engines up on his jet. I'm sure he got out of the car and called his captain and said, we are leaving. Uh, But they both finished in the two Mercedes in the points, which obviously helped them get to the P2 and the Constructors Championship. And then in 10th, we had Lance Stroll. Oh, that was nice, right? Uh, a great end to the year. Two Astons in the points. Um, that's all good stuff. I enjoyed the race. I think, wouldn't it be perfect if Las Vegas could be the finale, season finale, fireworks, rock stars, DJs, more celebrities than anywhere else, better food than any other racetrack. I, I wish it would. I don't think that's going to happen. We've seen the calendar for next year, but it's like, wow, as they went into Abu Dhabi and think all the swing on the in the Americas and then to have had to head out 12-hour time change to the Middle East. But uh, a billion-dollar racetrack, so that that contract isn't going anywhere soon. But what a fun, what a fun uh, end to the year. My guest, Bob Varsha. He, uh, if you are a pre-Drive to Survive fan, Bob was the voice of Formula One. He worked for everybody from Speed Channel to Fox Sports, CBS, uh, NBCSN. Uh, he and I worked together on the IMSA broadcast for years. Actually, I was in the pit lane at Le Mans. He was in the booth at Le Mans. And I really looked up to him as my as a bit of a mentor and a figurehead. He has this ability to wax lyrical at the beginning of a broadcast. And I'd look down for his notes and he'd be talking about the sun rising across the Tuscan sky as we're here at, in Italy. I mean, it was just poetic. And I failed miserably, obviously, in my attempts to emulate him. But he was uh, a pretty spectacular uh, role model for me. And more recently, as I mentioned, he was, surprisingly, the voice of the PA throughout the paddock, throughout the grandstands at the Las Vegas Grand Prix. And it was wonderful to hear all his experience, his enthusiasm and his, uh, you know, passion for the sport and his knowledge being announced to a whole new breed of fans. So welcome, Bob, finally to Drive to Win. Good to see you, JB. It's been too long. It has been too long. And I've got to say, hearing your voice down in the pit lane while I was up in the hospitality suite, seeing you on the big screens in your red sweater and hearing your voice resonate across the paddock, it brought back amazing memories. Was it as good for you to be back in the paddock? Oh, absolutely. Uh, In fact, I've been uh, the PA announcer for all of the U.S. rounds, Miami, Circuit of the Americas, and, uh, and now Las Vegas. And I also did the Mexican weekend, which was kind of fun. I did it with ex IndyCar driver, um, Mario uh, Dominguez and uh, and the the regular uh, Mexican track announcer. So it was half in Spanish and half in English, and my Spanish is terribly rusty. So it was pretty much a jump ball all weekend. But we uh, we had a great time, and it's always fun to be around the Formula One crowd. That's what I was thinking. I actually didn't know you'd done the other other three races, but seeing. I, I know our careers go up and down, right? It's a, trying to explain to people we're a bit like actors, really, or or lousy musicians. You know, the careers go up and down. But Formula yeah, One, Formula One has always been. If if be, you've done all those Le Mans, you've done all those IMSAs, you've done everything else, but people recognize you for Formula One. Such is the power of Formula One, and being invited back into that paddock must have been. I mean, I'm not saying at this stage, but it, kind of at this stage. 
what an honor. I mean, wow, what a tribute to, to what you do. Well, thank you. Um, and yeah, I suppose uh, the, the recent explosion in Formula One's popularity, at least here in the United States or North America, um, has contributed to that. Uh, it is the sharp end of the spear. You know, it's a very, um, it has a very dedicated fan base. And it's great that people, you know, remember me and, and want to keep having me around, if you will. Um, I certainly enjoy being there and hope to do it for uh a good long time into the future, but um, there is that certain cachet to being a part of the world championship and the recognized uh, ultimate form of elite motorsport around the world. And and what they've done, particularly since Liberty Media took over, although controversial in lots of ways, and Las Vegas is a great example of that, um, has done nothing but good things for the commercial viability and the returns to the teams and so on. So it's uh, it's great to see Formula One as widely recognized here in North America as it is around the rest of the world and has been for a long time. Yeah, but I was going to ask that. Since you were last in the pit lane, you know, if we, you know, mm -hmm. other than the sporadic appearance, um, what are the things you noticed the most in the evolution? What has changed? What has, what have you seen in the paddock that has changed since in this new era under Liberty and under post drive to survive? Um, I would have to say the, the commercial awareness of the teams, which sounds, you know, kind of economics 101 and kind of boring, but um, the teams have become very much aware if they weren't already about the hospitality side of things, the technology side of things. I imagine it's difficult uh, in the garages, um, being torn between wanting to show off all this fabulous technology and not wanting certain eyes to see all that fabulous technology. I mean, you know as well as I, Formula One is unlike any other motorsport in that you have to design and build your own car, invent the technology, invest in it, even under the cost cap, and, uh, and perfect it. Uh, and we've seen this very season. Uh, how Red Bull absolutely hit the bullseye, not only in terms of performance, but reliability, while other teams struggled and eventually admitted that, uh, you know, they'd gone a different route than Red Bull did and they were going to start mimicking some of the things that Red Bull was able to do. And this has always been in the nature of F1, everybody looking up and down the pit lane and what everybody else is doing. And um, it, it's fun to watch that sort of evolution in the cars, which in many cases seem to change from race to race, which is, uh, you know, it's just fabulous fun if you're a, you know, a single seater racing nerd yeah. like you and I. Yeah. No, I'm glad to to hear you say that because I think part of the explosion obviously is the, the concentration of social media and the dry accessibility mm -hmm. to the drivers. I mean, you remember that sort of Ron Dennis era when they couldn't even look out of the corner of their eyes, just had to look straight ahead. And, you know, people got vaporized for walking on the grass in Woking. I mean, it was like kind of a, a wild scene. But now we know what they're yeah. all doing. And we, I mean, I, I I met Charles Leclerc for the first time in Color Science and I felt like they were my friends. And I was like, I had to slap mm -hmm. myself. I, they're not my friends, but I kind of felt like it. Uh, that is the brilliance of where we are which is also outstripped mm -hmm. any of the other, any other forms of motorsport. So uh, really yes. exciting, really exciting. Well, what's your yeah. recap on the year then? Because you, you, as you said, you mentioned Max Verstappen and it, it, I think just the brilliance of what happened this year and accepting that we we're watching this period of domination. What's your feeling about the year and who were your standouts? Well, you know, it's funny, Justin, um, I hearken back a lot to the 2005 tire debacle at the U.S. Grand Prix at Indianapolis. Only six cars on Bridgestone tires started mm -hmm. the race. All the Michelin-tired cars pulled out. Everybody got up in arms, and they were throwing things and angry and all that kind of stuff. But pretty much all of them came back the next year when Michelin handed out a lot of free tickets. But the larger point is that everybody is now going to want to say, I was there. I mm. saw that, mm. you know, it, it's, it's like the domination of Michael Schumacher or Senna before him or whoever your favorite driver or champion was, um, no matter how dominating they are, you're going to want to say you saw that yeah. level of excellence. And I think this past year was 
probably the ultimate expression thus far in my experience with what happens when that perfect storm arises. Great driver, great car. And let's give full credit to designer Adrian Newey and all of the team at Red Bull. You know better than I, a driver doesn't do it alone, no matter how good his car is. Um, and it was just, you know, unbridled excellence. I mean, Sergio Perez, who had such a rough patch at midstream and everybody was asking whether he was going to have a ride next year. I mean, he won a couple of races this year. He's pretty mm-hmm. much, he and Carlos Sainz were the only guys other than Max Verstappen who won the race. But uh, Red Bull recognized early on, you know, that Max was capable of doing this and the car was capable of doing this. Um, you know, they never got too far out over their skis in terms of expectations. And uh, it was just a dominating show. I mean, yeah, it, it didn't do the the bookies much good uh, betting <laughs> on anybody other than Max Verstappen to win the race. But as I went barking on about on my radio show on Grand Prix weekends from Austin, um, there were so many great battles behind Max. Okay, Max is off into the sunset. But meanwhile, the Fernando Alonso's and the Lewis Hamilton's and the uh, Lando Norris's and the Oscar Piastri's and all of these guys were mixing it up. And it was a great show. Um, yeah. So, you know, if you if you could enjoy it on every level, let's say, if you could enjoy the excellence that Max Verstappen and Red Bull displayed and look beyond that to the great wheel-to-wheel battles that were going on behind him, you know, it was pretty much the complete season in lots of ways, at least for me. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I I once I accepted that was going to happen at the front and you started investing the the second place downwards, it became really sporty and really enjoyable. Uh, I think we have mm-hmm. to also put into to context the fact that today's cars, it's a bit like road cars. You remember, well, when you were a kid and certainly when I was a kid, my first car broke down the whole time, right? It was is what happened. But now yeah. in, in racing, Formula One failures used to be so common, right? Engines, gearboxes, suspension components. The Red Bull didn't have mm-hmm. a thing go wrong all all week all year. He even yep. he even hit people and didn't get damaged. It was like he was <laughs> made of Teflon, right? And it was incredible yep. to watch. That is a transition to this era that we never saw before. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, years ago, I did a uh, a small book with Dan Gurney, one of my racing heroes, mm-hmm. about his nineteen sixty seven. Eagle Westlake Grand Prix car, one of the most beautiful cars ever built for Formula One. Um, and doing my research for the book, I was looking at all of the the races from that season and the ones around it. And it, you would often, in fact, more often than not, lose half the field in the course of a race. You'd start with, you know, 26 cars or whatever the number was and wind up with 12 or 14. That was just the way it worked. So, you know, you're absolutely right. This kind of reliability really is something new. And, you know, we see it to some extent in other forms of motorsport, uh, like NASCAR. Um, everybody gets better all the time through, uh, through hard labor and a lot of uh, investment and brain power. And, uh, and that makes things that much tougher. And, and think about something else. I mean, we all remember this magical qualifying lap for Ayrton Senna in the McLaren mm-hmm at Monaco yep. in uh, 1989, I want to say, just all arms and legs and screaming and reaching down and shifting. And it's magic to watch. This year, pole position at Monaco, as I recall, was about 10 seconds quicker than that lap. So, you know, you have to uh, you have to adjust your perspective on what you're watching out there. And that in itself, to me, is part of the charm of Formula One. What will they come up with next? What can these cars do uh, the fact that 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 uh, that little drain cover came up on the Thursday in Las Vegas, that I found out later, I didn't previously know that these cars generate as much as two thousand pounds of suction, if that's the right measure of yeah. suction. Yeah. Um, so it's no surprise that these manhole covers, heavy as they are, will come up if they're not welded down when these incredibly capable cars come rocketing over them. Yeah, I mean it's. I said it to a group I was talking to during the Grand Prix on the the day after that drain cover Mm -hmm. coming up. And they were like, I just don't get why it would happen. And and I said, well, to give you context, at 140 miles an hour uh, with two and a half times downforce, 
the the weight of the car. A Formula One car literally can stick upside down in a tunnel. I mean, it really can. There is nowhere to do it, but it could drive along upside down. That's yeah, it could race on the ceiling. Yeah. Pretty wild. Really hard to get your mind around. Yeah, amazing. They are fabulous cars. Which is why, mm-hmm. Bob, when they go off this through a corner like Lando's crash, the minute it breaks traction and they and when he went off in Vegas or when you saw um was it uh Carlos, you know, hit the wall in practice, didn't he, in Abu Dhabi? I mean, the speed of the freaking yeah, cars when it goes. I, I mean, that's what not you know the layman is struggles to understand. It's it's extraordinary the minute that grip goes, you're just a passenger. Yeah, wild to see. Yeah, and you know, as I say, you know better than than lots of us that um, a driver has to have confidence that his car will will stick, will do what he wants it to do. I mean, you you can't imagine going into a you know 150 mile an hour corner. And not being sure whether the car is going to stay on track, and when it breaks away, as it did for Carlos in Abu Dhabi, uh, you are a, a passenger. Uh, even though we have seen, you know, uh, animal-like reflexes from some of these guys, um, Lando had a moment in uh, in qualifying. He was desperately, yeah, annoyed with himself because he qualified what fifth, and he thought he had a pole lap going on. Came off the corner. And I think what happened was his battery kicked in, you know, just at the inappropriate microsecond. Rear end tried to step out and he was able to snap that car right back in line, which was amazing to watch from a driving perspective. Um, but, uh, you know, you can't save them all. And, and it cost you know, him, it cost him, knuckle it cost him half a second. I literally going sideways. Yeah. I mean, boom, that's it. You're not pole. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I, I enjoyed yeah. watching that, seeing that. And, and mm-hmm. certainly, I was at Vegas, I was standing, I was on the grandstand outside turn one and you see how mm-hmm. much the cars work. They they move, they're working in that low traction situation in the cold and, you know, they have all the electronic aids in the world, but these guys are good. Oh my God. I mean, they are, they're out laps, they're in laps. As a driver, I go, yeah, yeah all right. That's, um, yeah, I'm glad I retired. Um, all right. Aston Martin, you mentioned Aston Martin. What a start to the year, Fernando Alonso. We, of course, had the benefit of mm-hmm. him in, in IMSA at Daytona, which was amazing. Just a, just a few years ago, he took a year out from Formula One and rejuvenated himself, comes back and is leading that team with all their financial investment, uh, you know, ends up in a great battle, you know, with McLaren in the points. And, and they obviously finished fourth in, in the manufacturers. Um, what do you... You know, you you watch them out there on track. You watch Alonso. Obviously, Lance Stroll does what he does. But you're watching Alonso's maturity, his experience, his depth of, of resources, if you like. And he's been racing, my God, Bob, almost as long as you've been doing this TV thing. And it feels like in Formula One. Do you enjoy watching him? And what's your summary of, of Aston Martin's performance this year? Well, yeah, I think Aston Martin was an interesting story this year and another example about how everything worked pretty well off the right out of the box at mm. the start of the season. And then during this, you know, ongoing week to week white hot cauldron of development that goes on in Formula One in terms of technology, <clears throat> they kind of went in the wrong direction. They confused themselves, I think. And uh, and both Alonso and Lance Stroll suffered for it. But Alonso is one of my favorite personalities and uh, in part for the reason you just mentioned that he stepped away from the sport for the second time in his career as i recall um he did it earlier uh after his minority days um and not only raced in imsa he raced at indianapolis and almost won the 500 he raced at the uh, dakar rally through patagonia um <laughs> and did well at that won le mans with toyota um yeah, he's just a, a staggering talent. And these guys are all good, as you say, but certain guys have that special something. And in the case of Alonzo, I think it's just his his iron will. Uh, seeing him battling with uh, Checo Perez uh, on the last laps in uh, Brazil, for example, uh, that pass-repass yeah. uh, that we actually saw again with Perez in Abu Dhabi, but this time it was Charles Leclerc and the Ferrari battling with him. Um, 
Alonjo's just a, a special guy. Maybe not always the easiest guy to like, maybe not always the best teammate, but when it comes to, um, you know, putting it on the line, getting the job done, he is, he is something special. Yeah. And I think he's been, a, I mean, I actually think Lance's performances wouldn't be half as good without Alonso as a, a mentor. Cause if you think about it, he can look at the data. He can look at exactly what Alonso yeah. does and what a, what a benefit. That's like into the mind of a genius as a, as a younger driver. And mm-hmm. Lance is someone, uh, just to touch on him briefly is, you know, one weekend I'm sitting in here, Bob going, he should just, his dad should fire him. And the next I go, you know what? That was a really good, that was a really good run. He went around Lewis Hamilton on the inside. You know, he has these moments and just being in a Formula One car isn't an easy, isn't an easy task. And obviously there's financial implications with his dad and everything like that. But, uh, I actually quite enjoy watching him race and there he is in Abu Dhabi having a great run. How, what do you think? Well, I think, you know, like the rest of the guys, he is good. Uh, whether he's great or not, uh, I suppose is in the eye of the beholder. I will say Lance kind of got on my nerves a little bit. He's not a great interview. Um, no. To some extent, he wears his heart on his sleeve. Uh, when he was in the doldrums around midseason, I think up until the break, certainly in the summertime, I, you couldn't get three words out of the guy. He was just so sullen and sulky, um, which I guess he has a right to be. You know, we all have days when we just don't want to deal with the daily grind. Um, granted, it's a it's a little more exotic when you're a Formula One driver, um, but yeah, I think he showed on a number of occasions that uh, you know he that he belongs, that he's he's got what it takes. Now, whether he's the right guy. To team with uh, Alonso and take Aston Martin to the next level, I'm not sure. Um, based on what we saw this year, perhaps not. Um, not sure who I would replace him with. As I said, Alonso is not always the easiest teammate, but I would leaven that statement by reminding everybody of uh, Hungary, where Esteban Ocon in the Alpine won the race because his then teammate Fernando Alonso held off and charging Lewis Hamilton. So Alonso has his moments where, uh, you know, he realizes and acts on the fact that you're out there racing for the team as well as for yourself. So he's capable of that kind of generosity and teamwork. Um, you know, whether Lance is in the same context now that Alonso is his teammate at Aston Martin, I'm not sure. Um, I don't think, Lance is going anywhere. So, um, you know, whatever we think of him, we have to deal with it. Yeah. Those little mid season strops. And when he pushed his, his trainer and stuff, that's just, that's, uh, I've, yeah. known, I've known a lot of rich kids that are like that because there's no repercussions for what they do. Um, sure. but yeah. that's, uh, moving on Mercedes. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I am such a Lewis Hamilton fan of his on track and actually off track. I've become a demarer of the fact that he's pushed the boundaries. He has become an icon. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bob, when he walked, I did the red carpet here at the, at the win and uh, we were standing on the carpet and he walked past and it was like the dark night from Batman. He walked past in a furry cape, no shirt, tattoos, looking magnificent. And I'm like, my God, they, I mean, Everyone, I mean, he's spy, I think he spikes fear in people. You know, he's, he's, everyone knows that given the equipment and the moment, Lewis Hamilton, well, I think anyway, has an eighth championship in him. And George Russell is, is really doing a a great job, not his best season, uh, but I think he's finished strong at Abu Dhabi. They are a team Mm -hmm. that grinds away. That's my take on it. They grind, right? They're just working. Toto Wolf, they're formidable. Uh, Mercedes, what do you, A, 2023 and what about 2024 to them can they pull it together i think they can it's not like mercedes have forgotten how to build a championship winning car for crying out loud yeah uh they took a bold move from the design stage with this no side pod design that they thought was going to work for them um and obviously it didn't um they had to deal with a porpoising issue as virtually all the teams except red bull did early in the season they struggled with that for a while. Uh, there's an interesting contest uh, contrast there between uh, Lewis Hamilton and teammate George Russell, in my view. They're very different, even though they're both British. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Lewis, for all of his gifts, and they are many uh, as a racing driver, seems to want more help from the pit wall over the radio. He questions everything. 
Whereas George is a little more, um, here's what we ought to do type. He's, mm. he's more willing to eject his own feeling uh, into strategies and things. Lewis is, is a bit more reactive. Having said that, he is, uh, you know, one of the generational talents at the front of the uh, Formula One world. Um, and, and, you know, the whole racial element to the whole thing, the off-track behavior, um, you know, the two chains of Formula One, if you yeah. like. I'm totally fine with that. I think it's great. Uh, if we can't have these guys jumping into other cars and racing sports cars and indie cars and, and, and other things, then it's at least let them express themselves. And this is how Lewis chooses to do it with his, with his tattoos and his fashion sense and his music and his flying all over the world to hang out with, uh, superstars and, and buying into American football teams and buying ranches in Colorado and, you know, doing all the things he does. I think he's good for the sport. I think he's good for society. And it, it's great to see. Other guys, well, I suppose the the extreme opposite is Max Verstappen, who wants nothing to do with anything that is not directly related to his racing, uh, which is certainly his right. Uh, he can be a bit of a curmudgeon at times, a word I used to describe him in Las Vegas that got <laughs> me lots of uh, arguments on the internet. But, um, you know, at the these are all different people and I, I, I choose to cut them a lot of slack to, to be themselves and go about their business the way they do. As far as Lewis goes, you know, years ago when he first came into the sport with McLaren, uh, when I was calling races on a regular basis with David Hobbs and Steve Matchett, we'd get mail from people saying, why do you have to mention all the time that he's black? Haven't we moved past that as a society? Why can't we just call him a driver? And the other half of the mail we'd get would say, why don't you mention more often that Lewis is black because he's such an important person and this is such a milestone for society, yada, yada, yada. So, uh, you know, you're never going to please everybody. But Lewis is that kind of guy. He's he's um, um, easy to spot. Easy to spot. And, and, and I... Lots I, of reasons. Yeah, exactly. Lots <laughs> of reasons. And I promise you, he will, he will, he will have a period of dominance in one way. Not dominance, but he'll... Right. Be at the front and winning races. You know that. Mm-hmm. Second in the championship, constructors, yep. when they didn't really have moments of highlight, you know, they had podiums, I think is extraordinary. That's yep. that's what that's why I brought it up because I think they could yep. really come out Literally. of the winter strong. Well, as you know, Ferrari, mm-hmm. Ferrari, ever since my dad drove for them, but you know, mm-hmm. 1970, you I know you're a big Ferrari fan. You watch every every driver in the paddock, I think, wishes they could wear a red suit at some point. And Two yep. talented drivers, Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz. I really love watching them. Uh, so many mistakes in 2022. Talk about, you know, the the, the demise of the last <coughs> challenger, really, was, was in 2022 when Leclerc imploded, you know, with all their, after those victories. Less mistakes in 2023. Obviously, Fred Vasseur has been amazing for the team, but you've also seen the drivers mature. Ferrari are so easy to isolate during a race and and observe, I feel. I, I'm always watching them and seeing what they're doing. And obviously, sure. you know, it was, uh, you know, this weekend was a good result for them. Charles Leclerc was brilliant behind the wheel. Do you think Ferrari under Fred can, can take the winter to come back and challenge in the same way? Because I personally feel they can. I think they, they're very strong. I think they can. Um, Ferrari is obviously a very different beast than all of the other teams in the pit lane. They, you just can't take your eyes off them. Ferrari is Formula One in so many ways, which makes their sort of biannual threats to leave Formula One and go do something else such a joke because yeah. Ferrari is Formula One and vice versa. Um, that being said, the role of the Italian media and the Italian, uh, the, the management of, uh, of Ferrari uh, and Fiat. Um, there's too much meddling that goes on in Ferrari. And if Fred Vasseur does nothing else, if he can shut out that meddling, shut out the pressure of expectations, and just let Ferrari and all of its great people do what they're capable of doing, they'll be just fine, and mm. they'll be back at the front. If he can't get that done, then we're going to see a lot more, um, you know, mediocre results from Ferrari. Uh, too much confusion, uh, too many decisions made by committee rather than uh, 
than one individual with a given responsibility. Uh, some of the radio transmissions during the course of the year were 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 crazy. Poor Charles Leclerc screaming, you know, when when something broke or when he was put on the wrong tire during a pit stop. Carlos Sainz, I think it was in Britain at Silverstone, when he said to the team, they wanted him to let Leclerc go by. He said, you know, don't do that to me. I'm faster than he is right now. Don't put me in this position. You know, I'm ahead of him in the points. You know, let me do it. That was a race in which Carlos Sainz really stood up to the team, I think, and really took a step up in his in their estimation of him um, by declaring, you know, that that he recognized when something was inappropriate that he had been told to do or whatever their strategy was. Um, and uh, I think that's important in a driver's development. You know, he has to be a participant. I mentioned before, Lewis is a little more reactive. You know, he waits for other people to make decisions or, or he tells them how the car is handling and leaves it up to them to uh, fix it. Kind of like Jimmy Johnson used to do in the NASCAR cup mm. series when he was talking with Chad, his, his crew chief, you know, you're the crew chief. Fix this thing. That's that's Lewis. Um, guys like uh, Carlos Sainz or Charles Leclerc would say, you know, here's what we need to do. And I think Ferrari needs to recognize that and abide by it. Yeah. And what I like is two drivers that can get poles, two drivers that can get fastest lap, two drivers that can get racy with Max given the opportunity and win races. So that's why I like that there is no weakness in in a two two driver lineup. And I, I like that right. about Ferrari. Yeah, absolutely. Which is the same as McLaren, which is the next subject. Obviously, two amazingly young, incredibly talented drivers. I mean, Lando drove so well, uh, you know, on Sunday. I, I mean, I mean, basically, he drove well all year, pretty much. He did make mistakes. I mean, I I thought he was very much on the edge of a victory, and obviously, Oscar Piastri getting the sprint race victory knocked unsettled Lando because I think he knew he should be the first one to win a race. And he, he very graciously acknowledged the sacrifice of the team members in his post-race, you know, the demands of the season. As he said, I've only got me mum, me dad, me dog and my sister, you know, my brother. I don't have a wife or a girlfriend. And these guys have families. So he's a, he's a conscious kid. He's, he's very good. Um, yeah. I love seeing the, the progression of McLaren this year, You've got, you know, with Gilles de Ferran on board and the new structure, the sporting structure that Zach put in place, I really am surprised they didn't get a win by the end of the year. All things going well, but it's what's going to happen over the winter and into next year. So McLaren is probably, while we said Mercedes are right on the edge, McLaren are closer, don't you think? Oh, yes. Yeah, Um and they came from an equally bad patch at the beginning of the year. McLaren was nowhere at the beginning oh, of the man. year. Uh, I think the improvement in performance they were able to pull off with uh, with Piastri winning the sprint race and from pole and um, and pressing Lando Norris. Lando should have won his first Grand Prix years ago. It was in Russia at mm. uh, Sochi uh, where the rain came late in the race and he waited too long to get on to wet tires and lost the race lead and the opportunity to win. In fact, Lando is in danger, I think, and it may work on his head more than it does on his fans and his team. But Lando's in some jeopardy, I think, of becoming known by that wonderful British phrase, the nearly man. Mm. He doesn't want to be that guy who is close, who was on the podium, who was within a couple seconds of the winner of the race, but, but doesn't win. I mean, there's myriad examples of drivers very good drivers who just never were able to close the deal. I'm not saying Lando's one of them, but that's the kind of thought that maybe creeps into the mind of an athlete when they just can't seem to Bob, get it Bob, done. Bob, I, I, have, I, have, I have that tattoo, Bob, by the way. I do. I, yeah, I, I, re I relate to that, that <laughs> remark, so thanks for that. No, carry on. <laughs> oh, come on, world champion. Yeah, that's um, no, they, they're a very strong driver lineup. I think we're only just learning now how good Oscar Piastri is. And, um, and, and Lando, obviously, is very, very good. So they are another of the, the really strongest driver lineups in the game. Yeah, showing you can hire youth, uh, which, you know, real youth, and take a risk, such as Liam Lawson getting mm -hmm. in the cars and stuff. It's been fun to watch them, them do that. Someone that yeah. is, is very, a team that's very hard for the 
the Drive to Survive era fan, not the more established fan to get their head around is, is Williams hold some of the biggest records in Formula One. They're right up there. Number of championships, number of wins, number of everything. Um, Yet, if you just joined our sport in the last three or four years, you'd think they're just, they're back where Haas is. You know, they're they're on equal footing, which Mm -hmm. they're not as as the reputation of the team. Finishing P7 in the championship was great, right? The car was mind-blowingly fast. Album was just spectacular Mm -hmm. at moments. Uh, What's your recap on Williams this year? They designed, as you say, a car that was very fast in a straight line. More often than not, they would be the quickest in the uh, speed traps, uh, sometimes by quite a margin. But, you know, the race victories and lap time is made in the corners, and their car did not necessarily handle corners well, a little bit hard on its tires. Uh, I think Williams suffered from a leadership void for years. You know, after Sir Frank passed away, um, Claire, you know, soldiered on his daughter, uh, before they sold out to Darlton. Um, and then it's a period of reorganization, you know, it's a whole new, okay, we own this thing. Now, what do we do with it? I think the biggest improvement for Williams this year was the hiring of James Vowles, uh, ex Mercedes, um, leader, um, to, uh, to be the team principal. I think he's got a, a great, clear vision of what you need to be to be successful in Formula One and how to get Williams to that point. Uh, It's going to be a very different Williams when it happens, uh, especially for guys like you and I who have been around for a long time. But uh, it's going to happen. I'm very impressed with James Fowles and what he's done thus far, what he's going to continue to do. He's got a tough winter coming up with deciding what they're going to do with American Logan Sargent. Uh, who I think was trending up in his performances toward the end. But as a rookie, he certainly hasn't made the splash of an Oscar Piastri. So what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? And we've given him a little bit of a tough time on the show throughout the year, but not out of spite, out of frustration, right? Like, and, sure. and, and mm-hmm. I know that feeling as a driver, when you start as equal to when you win your first race, you get unleashed, which I think is, is the, Counterpoint to what you're saying about Lando, one big win for him. Mm-hmm. The genie's out of the box and he's won in everything else he's ever done, but he does that one win, he'll just right. take off. It's like seeing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you know that Sergeant needs, Logan needs to get that those good results and uncork his potential because there are so many yeah. drivers in the wings, so many, and some great American drivers. So, you know. Oh, sure. Yeah. Fernando Alonso said many years ago, uh, you know, I raced carts with a whole bunch of guys. I don't recall if he mentioned a number, but he said, guys who could do this if they just had the opportunity, if they had the financial backing, if, you know, the right place, right time. You know, this is, you know, we're good, but we're not gods sort of thing. Um, And as we talk and as you run through the teams, uh, the thought popped into my head, the teams that were really on the bounce this year. Uh, teams like McLaren, mm. um, like Williams, which I think was trending up at the end of the season. The thing you see as a commonality among them is team leadership. James Vowles at Williams, Zach Brown, I think, did an amazing job at McLaren, precisely because Zach knows what he's good at and what he's not. You'll never see Zach's fingerprints on a toolbox or a, or a drawing no. <clears throat> board. Uh, he's a marketer. So yeah. he goes out and gathers up more sponsors than any other team, hires people puts them in a position to do their job and lets them go. Uh, same with Fred Vasseur. I think he understands that that's what they need. Um, he's not going to make strategy decisions from the pit wall. That's not, it's not his role in a, in a properly organized team. So um, yeah, it starts with the leadership. Uh, and I'm glad to see team principals starting to get the kind of attention uh, that their role deserves. I mean, at Miami last year, I watched fans walking around with their with their camera phones, and in as much as they were saying, "Oh, I got a, a Lando Norris or I got a Carlos Sainz," they were saying, "I got a Gunther Steiner, I got a Toto Wolf, <laughs> yeah. I got a Zach Brown, like baseball trading cards." So I, I had a big laugh with with Gunther about that in uh, in Las Vegas, uh, and he agreed. Definitely, the role of the team principal is much more upfront. Yeah, uh, than it ever was back in the day. Well, we can watch him on a CBS reality show soon. 
So that seems to be getting greenlit, right? And like The Office. Yeah, yeah. I, um, heard the, I heard his book is terrific too. Yeah, no, I need to do it. My, my last thing, because I've always admired you as you've seen the shenanigans that go on, especially even when we were broadcasting together and I was doing awful things running around and you, you look at it and you were like the, you were like the, the, the grand, I hate to say it, but the, the grand dam of our, of our broadcast team. And so, and I, I've always admired the fact, I'm not saying you're old Bob. Um, I admired the fact that you, you know, you, you, you respect, I know, um, sort of discipline and, and you respect, I know you respect, you know, people that handle themselves well, uh, which is why I want to ask you this. You know, rivalry, rivalry versus respect in today's sporting world in Formula One, the amount of money is so huge. The intense pressure of attention from and, and speculation from social media. Let's look at Christian Horner and Toto Wolff as an example. Two guys who literally have been at each other's throats nearly physically in these meetings, uh, giving a hug at the end of the year, which was quite nice to see, you know, they all sort of at the end of the year, the ice was broken and they were able just to sort of give it, hug it out. Right. Uh, it, do you think it's harder in today's world to have respect and rivalry or does it, is it so polarizing? No, I don't think it's, it's uh, harder now. Uh, and I think sport is where we look to find that sort of friendly rivalry, you know, that sort of mutual respect that you, uh, that you talked about. Uh, and I think it's important that we have that because we find it in so few other elements of our society these days, certainly not in politics, um, you know, but whether it comes to the economy or the schools or the military or whatever it is, it's so rare to see just genuine um, respect. Now, it, it gets heated sometimes. And there's certainly a lot of gamesmanship that goes on during the course of a year. That's also a part of sport. Yeah. Um, the uh, social media has definitely raised the uh, the temperature, at least among the fans, if not amongst the teams themselves. But you know, there's so much at stake uh, in, uh, and that's another part of Formula One that I like a lot because there is so much going on, and there is so so much passion, which is kind of an overused word, I think, these days. But but it's there. Uh, uh, in plentitude in Formula One. And um, yeah, it's great to see. It was great to see, you know, Senna and Prost, um, you know, bury the hatchet at the end of uh, of their association. Um, it, it's just great to see. I mean, there are pictures on the internet of all of the drivers who every year have made it a tradition to go out to dinner together. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can find those out there. I still can't find out who picked up the check, but maybe it's none of my business. But they, you know, they gather very informally uh, at some restaurant uh, because they are their colleagues as much as they are rivals. And, um, you know, that's charming. I like that. I like that, too. Well, Bob, it's now time for the Mobile One Pit Stop for the Love of Driving. My first question, mm -hmm. in an impossible, obviously unimaginable Formula One head-to-head, -head, who do you think would prevail? Sir Jackie Stewart, Ayrton Senna, Michael Schumacher, or Max Verstappen? I'll go with Senna. Uh, he always seemed to be able to find something else, to to dig a little bit deeper. Granted, we're talking apples and oranges, uh, and I mentioned how much quicker the cars are than they used to be. Uh, certainly all four of those guys are, are gods of the sport, but I'll go with Senna. What was the most extraordinary move you ever saw a Formula One driver make during a race weekend? On track. Wow. Uh huh. <laughs> um, leaving your dad out, huh? Yeah. I'll take um, I'll take Nigel Mansell in the Ferrari, passing Gerhard Berger's McLaren around the outside at the totally white knuckle Peraltada, one hundred eighty degree high speed right hander on the final lap at the Mexican Grand Prix in I think it was nineteen ninety, and it wasn't for the win; it was for second place. Alain Prost. Uh, one in the other Ferrari, but I mean, Mansell going around the outside there, a corner that once claimed Senna who spun off and wound up upside down in a sand trap. Um, that was, that was a pretty breathtaking move. I'll go with Mansell. Great decision. Were you ever a super fan of a driver and who was it? 
Or who is it? Alex Zanardi. Whoa. Pretty much hands down. Wow. A lot of great stars. Well, Mario, Dan Gurney, a lot of of favorites. But Alex is such an extraordinary person. What he has come back from time after time, uh, the skill and daring and passion that he showed when he was behind the wheel, just a, a fascinating guy. I was actually approached by a publisher after uh, Alex had his terrible uh, accident in uh, at the Lausitz ring that claimed his legs um, to do a book. And uh, we talked about it, and Alex decided he wanted to do it with an Italian author, which I totally understood. Sure would have loved to have done that book, but he did it. It's a great book. It's called My Sweetest Victory, and... Um, it, it's worth a read, but yeah, I'll, I'll go with Alex. Love that. What do you say when pe- people say race drivers aren't athletes? I say, get out of town. You have no idea what you're talking about. And um, yeah, that's a, that's an age old question. It just demonstrates how little understanding there is still in the mainstream media about what race drivers do, what they go through. I mean, name another sport where you have to make microsecond decisions that can have an extraordinary physical cost to you personally. I mean, Hemingway said bullfighting, mountain climbing, and motor racing were the only three true sports. Everything else is a game. And it's absolutely true. Uh, And the reason being, uh, you've got skin in the game, as it were. You can be hurt in a race car. That's not the reason drivers go out there to cheat death, but it's it's a consequence, can be a consequence uh, of driving in race cars. So, you know, if name another sport where you have to maintain a, a, a heart rate, I mean, maybe the single best measure of someone's fitness, race drivers routinely operate for two hours in really difficult temperatures and other circumstances, tremendous physical pressure, and maintain pulse rates above 150 beats per minute. Try it. I used to run marathons. I know what it's like to, 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 you know, have that kind of exertion. Every other sport you can think of involves a pretty significant amount of standing around from time to time. So the idea that, I don't know, anybody who thinks race drivers aren't athletes needs to get in a, in a competent, high-performance car with a professional racing driver and see how you feel when you get out. <laughs> I second that. Do you think this year's Las Vegas... Heineken Silver Grand Prix, the first one, obviously, was actually bigger than the Indy 500 this year as a spectacle. Wow. Or could it be? Um, It was not. I'll say that. Could it be? That's a great question. Um, You know, there was so much hype, so much investment in this Las Vegas uh, inaugural. Um, There were big stumbles along the way. Uh, and Thursday night, I was the PA guy who read the statement from the FIA saying, okay, everybody go home. You're not going to see the second practice if, in fact, it happens. I thought that was a horrible mistake. I think they should have just eaten the overtime for security. i tell you what they should have done. They should have said, okay, everybody who's still here at 1 o'clock in the morning, which is when I read the statement, come sit in the main grandstand across from the pit lane. You probably could have filled it with the number of people who were still there at that hour. Uh, and at least you can watch the activities in the pit lane. Hopefully we get the uh, session underway when we get the track back in shape. You know, give the people something for these extraordinary ticket prices that they paid. But to to shoo them all home, um, I thought was a, a huge error. Having said that, um, will that kind of investment and hype make the Las Vegas visit by Formula One bigger than the Indy 500? I, you know, I don't think so. You're fighting 107 years, I think, of, uh, of history at Indy and that mammoth, breathtaking uh, racetrack. Um, I don't think Vegas will ever have 350,000-plus people uh, on the premises for, uh, for a Formula One race someday. But, you know, that doesn't matter. But if you're just doing it in terms of sheer numbers, I don't think it'll be a bigger spectacle than Indy. Final question. So it's uh, Thanksgiving mm-hmm. dinner and you've got to invite a Formula One team principal. Would it be Christian Horner or Toto Wolf to join your family at dinner? Are they bringing their wives? Well, there's a point. 
<laughs> they both have beautiful, beautiful wives. One can, one uh, can sing for her supper. One can sing for her supper, that's for sure. That's true. Mm. That's true. Well, the difference for me really is the wives. I mean, you show Jerry Hallowell can sing, and that's that's great. Um, but Susie Wolf was a terrific race driver in her own right. She has held management positions, uh, and I got a good close look at her and chatted with her and had dinner with her a couple of times in Formula E, uh, the all-electric racing series, where she ran the Venturi team. Um, and now she's done so much for females in motorsports, and I just really dig her uh, her Scottish accent, which I think is just adorable. But uh, Toto himself, I think, is an interesting character. There's a lot more there then we see Toto as this, you know, glacial Germanic, um, you know, boss sitting there at the back of the garage with the headset on and only occasionally getting on the radio. Uh, I think there's probably a lot more to him in terms of sense of humor and so forth. With Christian, you know, very affable guy, but I think we already know everything there is to know about Christian. I'd like to have, uh, you know, a long evening with Toto kind of getting under his skin a little bit. Perfect. Well, that was the Mobile One Pit Stop, Bob. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining the show. I'm sorry it took all season to get you on, but I figured you'd be a good guy to, to wrap it all up. Um, I don't know when I'll see you next. Hopefully hopefully on the grid, maybe at Daytona or whatever, and maybe at the beginning of the season on this show. So thank you so much for sharing, sharing your wisdom, Bob. Take care, mate. Hey, race fans, Justin Bell here. So what is it about a race that's so exciting? Is it the breakneck speeds, the constant pressure, the ever-present threat of danger, or is it simply the driving? Think about it. There's no phones, no laptops, no screens, just the world's greatest drivers, cars, and the ultimate freedom. Yep, it is definitely all of the above. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Well, that was great. Such a great insight from Bob. And as you can tell, he's got this encyclopedic knowledge and memory of what happened in Formula One over the last two or three decades. I just wish I Anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. Well, of course, in the aftermath of the Las Vegas Grand Prix, Formula One cars have pretty much left. The show cars have left the win. Formula One is leaving Las Vegas in terms of the infrastructure. But remember, that huge pit complex, just a few hundred yards from where we are now, will be a beacon of the sport in Las Vegas for at least the next 10 years. And I'm very excited to see what they do with that. Just a little insight into how the race affected everybody here at the win. Uh, pretty much all the VIP packages were sold out. The place had activations in every single restaurant. The drivers stayed here. We had the red carpet. We had the Netflix golf tournament. It was something special to behold. And if you like, everybody in Las Vegas was a rookie going into this year. But boy, they're not rookies as they come out. They are veterans of Formula One. And I, for one, can only... I'm excited to see what we pull off moving into next year and to be a part of it. It was a year. What a year. Uh, we were witness, really, to history being driven, not just from behind the wheel with Max Verstappen, but with the leadership of Christian Horner and the execution by the talent at every level of the Red Bull team. Like many of you, my feelings went up and down on the domination aspect. But as Damon Hill said, Let's embrace that moment. It might never happen again. And I really did. And it was mesmerizing. As a former driver, I can tell you that it must have been so humbling for everybody else to line up on the grid every week simply to get a thrashing. But they did. I mean, full credit to them. They all performed and we saw individual moments of brilliance shine through that reminded me that Formula One has such a depth of talent today and we really have to respect that. And how racing has always been and always will be the ultimate gladiators arena where you have to perform at this unimaginable level week after week or metaphorically and sometimes unfortunately and very sadly literally die. It's so much more than entertainment. That's what most of us know it for. But for many of us, it really is life. It's all we know and it's what we live for. Man and machine. It does sound cliche, but boy, oh boy, it is spectacular to watch. And one last thing to mention, it's the first time since 1952 that the British anthem has not been played for a winning driver or winning manufacturer team on the podium. And that has to change. As a Brit, I'm saying it has to change in 2024, doesn't it? 
Anyway, a huge thank you to everybody at The Win for supporting the show in every way and having such a commitment to Formula One here in Las Vegas and that they allowed me to do this show. To Mobile One for their great partnership and faith in this very new concept. Anyway, it's always going to be out the love of driving for me and I'm sure for you. And finally, to Blue Wire for not just producing the show, but helping me understand what it takes to make a great podcast in today's world. Maggie and Delilah, thank you so much for your business and social media acumen. And to everybody in the control room right behind me for all their great work. Brian, you made me look good on air. Antoine for definitely improving the way I sound. Nick for all his hard work behind the scenes on editing all our social media clips together and putting the show together. And finally to Jeremiah for being the voice in my ear and my partner in crime on shaping the show into what it is today. And finally, to you for watching. Thank you so much. It's only 91 days till I'll be back here. Enjoy the break. I'll see you soon.